Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.16 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 8th of December, 2021, and this is episode 514 of Bitcoin and the Gislaine Maxwell trial tracker Twitter account was suspended, along with a whole bunch of other accounts from the same person. Uh, let's, you know what? Let's just try to figure this out from the words of the person that created the trial tracker account in the first place. Again, if you did not know, there was a Twitter account with 525,000 followers that was suspended this morning. That Twitter account, all it did was basically report on what was going on in the, at this point, Ghislaine Maxwell trial and Jeffrey Epstein trial. And I don't know why they're calling it Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein trial, but they are. Anyway, this account was basically given sort of a blow by blow of what was going on during the court trial because nobody can hear what the hell's going on because there's no cameras allowed like there was in the now that was Wakusha or Wakasha or whatever Wisconsin uh, shooter trial. Anyway, <clears throat> that account was suspended with 525,000 followers. That makes it one of the larger Twitter accounts, and it was just gone. So this is from patriot1.substack.com. This is specifically about that Twitter suspension. This person is the person behind the trial tracker account that got suspended. So let's figure it out. I woke up this morning and the tracker trial account on Twitter was suspended. All the other accounts that I have made in the past were also suspended. This was the only note that I received from Twitter. Violating our rules against platform manipulation and spam. You may not use Twitter's services in a manner intended to artificially amplify or suppress information or engage in behavior that manipulates or disrupts people's experiences on Twitter. Note that if you attempt to evade a permanent, sorry, a permanent suspension by creating new accounts, we will suspend your new accounts. If you wish to appeal this suspension, please contact our support team. Thanks, Twitter. That's it. That's all this person got. Continuing. The tracker trial account was the largest account on Twitter that specifically tracked the Ghislaine Maxwell Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein trial. According to Twitter's rules, apparently the account was artificially amplifying information. I'm not sure what I was amplifying or how I was doing that. The account got insane engagement, which by the way was all organic. There was not outside amplification. The people wanted to hear the truth about the Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein trial, and the engagement numbers showed that. There were hundreds of millions of impressions, and an account that went from zero to over 525,000 followers in a couple of weeks. All we did was report information from the trial that the mainstream media was failing to do. Going forward... We will continue to report on the trial in all forms of big government and corporate corruption. This is just the beginning. We have appealed to Twitter for a possible lift of the suspension, but it is likely we will never hear from them. Big tech has gotten too powerful, and they can silence us anytime they want. As we wrote earlier in the week in the article titled, The Global Media Industrial Complex, quote, Local blogs and websites are suppressed by big tech algorithms. If you write one thing out of line, Google can institute a site-wide ban, making sure you never show up in search algorithms again. Facebook restricts that what is sorry, Facebook restricts what is posted on their website. Twitter suppresses any outside links to keep users on their own site. 
the year is 2021 and Big Brother is watching, end quote. The only thing I am asking is for everyone to share this article to get the word out. All information pertaining to this trial will be exclusively written here. I also have a Gab account if anyone is interested in a more informal route of communications. Finally, if you want to support the freedom of speech and press, consider becoming a paid member of the Free Press Report. I was like, yeah, I, I should have probably not said that one, but whatever. The only way for us to stay independent and provide coverage of corruption indefinitely is to be a reader-supported publication. We need to go back to the old school days where the people supported and funded the free press. The founding fathers believed in the freedom of press. <clears throat> the right to report on news and circulate opinion without censorship from the government. Today, this censorship is from big tech, another powerful arm of a tyrannical government. You can help support the freedom of the press by becoming a paid subscriber. And there you go. Okay. So if you want to, you can go to patriot1.substack.com. Uh, that is patriot1, and that's all one word, P-A-T-R-I-O. T-O-N-E, patriot1.substack.com. You know, what What the hell to say about this? Well, we got, we kind of got this to say about it. Um, <laughs> we've got the Nancy Tracker account was suspended today. I do not know if the Nancy Tracker, at Nancy Tracker Twitter account, is one of the other suspended accounts that Patriot One was talking about. I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if I remember seeing Nancy Tracker, but it had 216.1 thousand followers, people. The account was suspended also this morning. What are we looking at? We're looking at a purgeoning. <clears throat> things are being, things, accounts, people, ideas, information, truth. It's all being purged, people. And this is like just days after um, Jack Dorsey left, right? So what, you know, what to do about all this crap? I don't know. I mean, have it, one thing that I do is to have as many social media accounts alive and viable as I possibly can. And, and some of them are like, you know, definitely second and third tier platforms like Mastodon, MeWe, stuff like that. <clears throat> but Mastodon, you know, as much as I, I can say that I like the existence of Mastodon, I can't really say much about the interface. It's not as good as Twitter. And this is a problem. This is a very big problem. I don't know how to fix it. If anybody out there does know how to fix it, please start fixing it because this shit's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Anyway, enough about the dystopian bullshit. Let's get into some Bitcoin news, but we're going to have to wait for that because we're going to talk about Ethereum DeFi products first. Don't worry. This is kind of interesting. I'm not sure how this story is going to end up, but let's just go ahead and, and try to figure this one out. Enso Finance launches a vampire attack against six Ethereum DeFi products. Stacy Elliott has it for Decrypt.co. In what could be considered a controversial bootstrapping strategy, Enso Finance has announced that it's launching a month-long vampire attack that could drain nearly $1 billion from six competing DeFi protocols. A vampire attack sources liquidity by siphoning it from one or several competing projects. The vampire analogy ends there. The initial attack doesn't actually change the nature of the project that was targeted. Enso, a platform that allows users to combine investing strategies into meta strategies and follow others, launched earlier this year. It will target six protocols with an accumulated $941 million of total value locked as of Tuesday afternoon, according to data from DeFi Llama. Set Protocol and Index Co-op, which allow users to create their own indices, account for more than 400 million each in total value locked, a metric that approximates the amount of money flowing through any given DeFi protocol. DHedge, a decentralized hedge fund, and PowerPool, an automated DeFi token portfolio manager, accounts for $21 million and $18 million respectively. PiDAO, a platform for building DeFi ETFs, has $13.8 million and indexed. A protocol for passive portfolio management has $11.7 million in total value locked. 
Enso itself has set out to provide all of those features and will gamify the migration process with a virtual arcade that reimburses users' gas fees as they migrate liquidity during the four-week vampire attack. Liquidity providers who migrate will also be rewarded with NFTs, unique collectible tokens. God, Jesus, no, it's all bullshit, whatever. And Enso native tokens once the attack is complete. DeFi is a catch-all term for financial tools built on a blockchain. The decentralized community-driven nature of the market has led to some head-turning launch strategies. In fact, the Enzo Finance team was going to call its go-to-market strategy a liquidity migration, but decided a vampire attack would draw more attention, even if some of it is negative. Quote, I actually think it's very positive because it's what traditional players do. Oh, God. Swisscom or BT incentivize customers to change plans all the time. Enso co-founder Connor Howe told Decrypt, quote, sure, it might sound bad. It might sound a bit aggressive, but sometimes you have to take a risk. We chose the word vampire attack instead of liquidity migration because it's more powerful and people understand what it is. Guys, that there's a little bit more to that article, but honestly, I think we've we've got the gist of it. What's going on? This is being called a vampire attack, but what it is is vultures that are eating themselves. That's what's going on in DeFi right now. You've got cannibalizing of DeFi protocols upon other DeFi protocols, which in turn are cannibalizing other DeFi protocols. What eventually happens when you've got rampant cannibalization in a system, that system fails. Right. I don't need to wait for another, at this point, I don't need to wait for another, you know, flash loan attack on some bullshit DeFi protocol. They're going to eat themselves. I, I mean, this is the state of shit coinery. I mean, this is actually, when you think about it, you know, back in the day in 2016, 2017, during the real hardcore part of the ICO launch phase, of you know, of the Bitcoin life life uh, what timeline, <clears throat> I didn't even I didn't see this, I I never saw anything even remotely approaching this. This thing is I don't know I'm not I, I doubt it's going to be the nail in the coffin of DeFi because DeFi is probably going to survive, but this is going to wipe out. I think this kind of shit is just going to wipe out a whole lot of people's money. Feel really bad for them. Well, maybe I don't feel so bad for him. Anyway, continuing on, Namcios has this one from Bitcoin Magazine. The Bitcoin Water Trust reaches 100 Bitcoin. The Bitcoin Water Trust, an exponential growth fund by nonprofit charity, Water for Providing Clean Water to People in Developing Countries, has reached its goal of raising 100 Bitcoin, reported Forbes. The fund received its 100th Bitcoin after the Winklevi, founders of the Gemini Bitcoin Exchange, personally matched the first 50 BTC donated to the trust. Quote, Charity Water began accepting BTC in 2014 using the proceeds to fund the construction of new water projects around the world, said the founder and CEO of Charity Water, Scott Harrison, per the report. Quote, we came up with the Bitcoin Water Trust after we converted a total of 569 Bitcoin donated to us at spot price along the way, end quote. The initiative was announced <clears throat> at the Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami and sought to attract Bitcoin donations with a unique treasury management strategy, HODL Modal. <laughs> the, the nonprofit committed to HODLing all Bitcoin received by the fund until January 2025, when the proceeds will start being used to fund Charity Water's efforts to bring clean water to where it's needed the most. Quote, if we liquidated the trust today, we could bring clean and safe drinking water to more than 130,000 people, but we believe this fund will have an even greater impact over time, said Harrison. Charity Water received its first Bitcoin donation back in 2014 from professional skater Tony Hawk. The athlete donated 5 BTC, which the nonprofit instantly converted to cash when 1 BTC sold for just $314. After seeing missed opportunities for holding on to their received Bitcoin, Charity Water devised the Bitcoin Water Trust. Quote, In the past, 
we've converted BTC fiat currency or to fiat currency to fund the construction of new water projects. However, we believe in 2025 and beyond, we'll have more options to use the BTC from the fund to directly fund work across many of the 21 countries where wa charity water is active, Harrison added. We're in the process of putting together an advisory board to work on the strategy with the goal of helping as many people get clean water as possible through the fund. Charity Water hopes to use BTC directly starting in 2025 instead of having to convert to cash. Harrison also urged his fellow nonprofit leaders to consider adopting Bitcoin, which he believes can be used as a force of good in the world, helping to lift people out of extreme poverty and provide them with basic needs to flourish, according to the report. So, okay. Now, if they hold to 2025, right, that's about four years from now, what other instrumentation will be available for them to use? I mean, just think about it. Kind of like just to sit back and ponder because we've already got Bitcoin loans. I mean, you can, I can shit on them right now or, or just continue on. I would can rather just continue on. It doesn't matter if you don't like them. They're there, they're going to be there, and they're probably going to end up becoming more and more mature. And as that kind of proceeds on, what's the potential for Charity Water to be able to not actually ever have to spend their Bitcoin? Maybe what they do is they take a loan against all that shit keep the Bitcoin as collateral for that loan, and then ask for donations to pay the interest on the loan so that they can rapidly deploy a shit ton of clean water projects. Think about that. I mean, that's, I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, maybe it's happened, maybe you know about it. If something like that has happened in the past without Bitcoin, like some, I don't know, like somebody maybe donating a whole bunch of Ford stock to a charity and then they just borrowed against the Ford stock and then asked, you know, the the patrons that, that want to support the charity to just help them pay the interest on the loans. I don't know if that's ever happened. I certainly have never heard of that shit happening, but I could definitely see it happening with Bitcoin, especially considering, you know, what could possibly happen after 2025 with the price of Bitcoin or rather it's purchasing. Let's start talking about purchasing power of Bitcoin in either event. If... Uh, you feel the need to continue, or if you feel the need to, to get in on the charity water donation scheme, I'm pretty sure that they're going to take your donation if, if you would choose to actually donate to them. Anyway, continuing, House Memo details Congress's priorities ahead of a crypto CEO hearing. Uh, crypto CEOs, that's just a term that I, it, it's so, crypto by itself is cringe. A crypto CEO that's way cringe. Arjit Sarkar has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> the United States House Committee on Financial Services released a memorandum detailing the points of discussion during the hybrid hearing on digital assets to be held on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. That meeting, by the way, is actually going on right now, just so you know. Addressing the members of the Financial Services Committee, the memo confirmed that the hearing will dedicate one panel to six executives from the crypto community as witnesses. The list includes, oh God, Circles, Jeremy Allaire, FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried, Bitfury Group's Brian Brooks, Paxos's Charles Cascaria, and Stellar's Den Dan uh, Danielle Dixon and Coinbase's Elisa Haas. The hearing entitled Digital Assets in the Future of Finance, Understanding the Challenges and Benefits of Financial Innovation in the United States, seeks to discuss four key aspects, crypto exchanges, stablecoin offerings, regulatory concerns in digital assets, and federal regulatory responses. The brief reads, quote, this hearing will examine some of the new products and services offered by major digital asset marketing participants, the role of cryptocurrency market exchanges in facilitating investments in cryptocurrency and related transactions, the growth of stablecoins and other digital assets, and the current regulatory landscape governing these new products and services. While the memo highlights the role of exchanges in serving as an entry point for crypto investors, the hearing will also discuss decentralized finance, given its potential to replicate and replace conventional delivery of financial services such as loans, asset trading, insurance, and other services. 
The document also talks about the differences in operational structures and reserve compositions of stable coins as compared to fiat currency, adding, quote, Cryptocurrency markets have no overarching and centralized regulatory framework, leaving investments in the digital asset space vulnerable to fraud, manipulation, and abuse. Digital assets and related service providers can present money laundering, terrorist financing, sanctions evasion, kleptocracy, and other illicit finance risks, end quote. Acknowledging the rise of cryptocurrencies, Congress hopes to develop a clear stance on central bank digital currencies based on the ongoing study conducted by the Federal Reserve to examine the potential benefits and risks of CBDCs and its impact on the United States domestic payments system, end quote. On Tuesday, Circles Allaire released a statement ahead of the hearing saying, quote, In a world where money becomes a core feature of the Internet, the United States should aggressively promote the use of the dollar as the primary currency of the Internet and leverage that as a source of national economic competitiveness, security, and a major upgrade needed for more efficient and inclusive financial services. God Bless America, Alaire. Talk about selling out every everybody under the uh, under your thumb. My God, Alaire's firm, Circle, is the sole issuer of dollar-backed stablecoin USD coin. He suggested that the United States government can make mainstream use of the stablecoin via dollar-denominated reserves. Policy frameworks need to support an open and competitive playing field and allow new technologies to flourish. Alaire added, "Wow." Okay, so what does this mean? He's positioning himself to start using a stable coins as a replacement for the United States dollar. I mean, that's that's eventually what what he's he's vying for. The fact that this committee consists of this crew of miscreants is frightening. None of these people have ever ever been a fan of Bitcoin, even though it's made them billions of dollars collectively. It's it's made them rich beyond their wildest imaginings. It's, it's, it's just, and, and here we are with these six individuals that represent probably the scum of the earth as far as Bitcoin is concerned, sitting in front of a panel of United States senators and, and whatnot. I mean, if that, you know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of disheartening in, in a, a little a little bit, but it's not surprising. It is not surprising that these are the invitees and not the good people in Bitcoin because we have a lot of really hardcore thinkers. You know, Lewis Parker ain't up there. There, You know, none of the old school Bitcoiners are, are, are up there, the people that write about this stuff all the time. What we have is a bunch of CEOs that still have a fiat mindset, even though that they're in quote unquote crypto, and they're saying they're fiat things to people who understand fiat language. None of this has anything to do with Bitcoin. If you think it does, it doesn't. They're just jockeying for position because they want to get even more rich. And I just don't see any difference between this world that they, th- that they think that they represent and the old legacy bullshit. It's, it, it's a little disheartening, but again, not unexpected. Biden's controversial anti-crypto comptroller nominee withdraws. Brian Neuer has it for Cointelegraph. The Office of the Comptroller of the Currency in the USA will operate with only an acting comptroller for a little while longer after President Biden's nominee, Saul Amarova, withdrew her candidacy from the confirmation process. In response to Amarova's withdrawal, President Biden said on December the 7th, she was subjected to inappropriate personal attacks that went far beyond the pale. Aw, cry harder. The Comptroller of the Currency oversees the regulation of chartered banks across the country. Cryptocurrency state Stakeholders saw her as a poor choice for the comptroller due to her anti-crypto sentiments. Amarova fielded heated lines of questioning from Republican and some Democratic senators on the Committee of Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs in hearings about her views on private banking and cryptocurrency regulation. Some Republicans, such as Senator John Kennedy, focused on Amarova's upbringing in the Soviet Union. During a November 18 in Senate hearings, 
Republican Senator Cynthia Lummis questioned Amarova on her position regarding cryptocurrency and stablecoins. Amarova expressed concern that eventually private tech companies that deploy the stablecoin infrastructure would put private profit-based interest above the public need for open banking. That's not what she wanted anyway. When asked whether she believes that government-issued fiat currency is superior to private commerce, Amarova responded, quote, I worry about allowing private innovation to undermine a lot of important public policies that we need to pursue, end quote. Amarova attended Moscow State University in Moscow, Russia, on the V.I. Lenin Personal Academic Scholarship, where she reportedly wrote a thesis about Karl Marx. The thesis was featured on Amarova's resume in April of 2017. Republican Senator Pat Toomey was told that the thesis was deleted and therefore it could not be produced. <laughs> Weird. Republican Senator Mike Crapo challenged Amarova to explain her position on federally chartered banks as they pertain to climate change, of all things. She advocated for the banking system having the power to put climate change contributing industries, which she had referred to as socially suboptimal industries, out of business by preventing them access to bank loans. Her position states, quote, the way we get rid of these carbon financers is we starve them of the source of their capital, end quote. In light of Amarova backing out, President Biden will have to nominate another candidate for the comptroller. <clears throat> they are not going to stop. He is going to find some other weird-ass Marxist to be put in, or in, in this particular nominee's place because what they really want is not for the banks to starve these carbon criminals out of existence. No, 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 no. That, that, that places way too much trust in those banks. No, what she really wanted, and it's not said anywhere in this article, is the complete and total destruction of retail and commercial banking and have all banking centralized through the Federal Reserve System. That means that me and my wife and my family's accounts would no longer be able to be at Wells Fargo or some like local bank or a federal credit union. No, 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 no. All, all of those banks would basically be eviscerated and all accounts would be transferred to the Federal Reserve. And I would do banking directly through the Federal Reserve. I would get loans directly through the Federal Reserve. They are coming after retail and commercial banking because they cannot control it as much as they want to be able to control it. If we let this happen, all is lost. So what do we do about it? If you know a banker that's like not hooked into JP Morgan, you know, maybe a regional banker or something like that. Maybe you go and play golf with the president of a small, you know, community bank or something like that. You might consider telling them that they should probably look into Bitcoin and, and, and doing commerce in Bitcoin as a side gig for their fiat, you know, their fiat rails and not yell at them for, you know, the fact that they're going to, you know, be eviscerated. Now maybe say, Hey, look, we think you're in danger. I don't want my, I don't want my, you know, Citibank, And I don't mean Citibank. I mean the city that I live in, you know, that, that city's bank to go under. I, I want to be able to come and, and have personal, you know, contact with the people that are helping me finance a business or whatever it is that I'm doing. I think you need to look at Bitcoin because I think you are in danger. And I don't like the fact that you seem to be in danger. And if you don't recognize the danger, lay, then lay it out for them. If they don't recognize it, if they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you better lay out the fact that they are coming after retail and commercial banking. And they want to centralize everything into the Federal Reserve because just because a small town banker is a banker does not mean that he or she understands the full implication of how close we came to having everything centralized under the Federal Reserve, which means tens, hundreds of thousands of people's, people will lose their jobs. You won't have tellers anymore. You won't have loan officers anymore. Some of them will go to the Federal Reserve, but not all of them. People are going to lose their jobs if we let this shit happen. And then we lose a hell of a lot more than that. So if you know somebody like that, you might want to start crawling into their ear about how dangerous and how close we came to one of the most dangerous things that we could have possibly imagined like ever. Anyway, uh, let's see. Bitcoin futures 
open interest falls by 83,000 BTC. This is Bitcoin Magazine's Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule. Almost immediately after we released our November monthly report last Friday, the Bitcoin market experienced a series of swift liquidations, taking price down to a potential bottom of around 42,000. We highlighted the increased risk of the overextended total futures open interest and long liquidations in the monthly report saying, quote, the Bitcoin total futures open interest in the derivatives market has risen to new elevated levels that have historically preempted increased healthy liquidation flushes in the market. Although futures open interest is elevated largely because of increased CME futures ETF demand, the rise is still cause for concern as perpetual funding rates rise higher as price is falling. These dynamics usually signal a derivatives market reset and thus a lower Bitcoin price, end quote. In a sharp down, drawdown, aggregate futures open interest fell from 411,000 BTC to 328,000. Crypto margined derivatives open interest witnessed a drawdown of its 2021 lows with the long liquidations falling by more than 20,000 BTC in mere hours. In particular, open interest on Bybit saw massive liquidations. We highlight Bybit open interest and derivatives in particular in the monthly report published to paying subscribers on Friday. Funding on perpetual futures also went steeply negative for the first time in months as the price was driven far below that of spot markets due to the cascading liquidations. The funding rate on perpetuals can be thought of as a tether to the spot index and when a large amount of liquidations occur due to excessive leverage, funding goes negative due to the price of perpetuals going far below that of spot indexes. So yeah, cascading long liquidations. And, and, and these guys, they still, they, they never learn. They leverage their, their ass to the hilt. They go long, they get the rug pull on them. And then one liquidation forces somebody else's liquidation. And then you've got dominoes falling all over the place and you get these massive 30% drawdowns. Don't do this. Don't go leverage long. Just stay out of the markets. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. It's not that hard. Let's run the numbers. All right, gonna do try something a little bit different today, and I don't know how it's gonna work out. But uh, who got into my ear about this? I, God, I can't remember. Somebody got into my ear about how I should be using priced in Bitcoin for the commodities stuff. And I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, priced in Bitcoin 21, that is priced in Bitcoin21.com, uh, has a really nice looking interface and it's got all the stuff that I need, <clears throat> except for I'm not sure if when they say crude oil, they're talking about. West Texas Intermediate or Brent North Sea. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with CNBC's futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate has risen by 0.65% to $72.52 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise has experienced 0.7% to the upside, landing at $75.97. Now, if I go over to priced in Bitcoin 21, I see that they have a listing for crude oil that has risen by 0.63% on the day and is priced at 142,721 Satoshis per barrel. Natural gas has risen 2.04% to land at 7,555 Satoshis per barrel. Gasoline, you're gonna be paying 4,204 Satoshis per gallon after a 1.2% increase. Propane, for those that track that price, $2,000 after a 40% or $2,000, 2,000 Satoshis after a 0.4% rise. And uranium apparently has seen massive growth, 20.20% to the upside. That's right. Uranium, 20% to the upside gain on the day, 94,955 Satoshis. Uh, agricultural futures are all up. And, <clears throat> well, actually, they're not futures. They're actively trading right now, but, you know, whatever. Wheat is up 1%. 
The biggest winner is cotton. On the day is up 6.76%, 216,756 Satoshis on that contract. Cocoa is up 13.54%. Tea, for all the tea in China, is up 20% like uranium. Corn up almost half a point, uh, 11,625 Satoshis per contract, or at least that's what I think they're saying. Uh, let's see here. We've got, uh, ooh, where, where's my precious metals? Oh, no. Okay, let's go back to futures and commodities. Gold is down 0.4% to $1,784. Silver down likewise. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Gold is down 0.02%. Silver is down 0.3% at $22.41. And let's see what is, uh, let's see if price of Bitcoin has the markets on here. Yeah, indices. Uh, Dow Jones up 2.41%, 70,000, or no, 70,968,556 Satoshis. S&P 500 up 3.29%. NASDAQ 100 is up 4.24%. Russell 2000 up 4.45%. But that's in terms of Satoshi. So let's go back over to futures and commodities and reread the indices and what they're doing in dollar terms. Dow futures is actually down 0.19%. S&P futures up 0.02%, NASDAQ futures at 0.07%, S&P mini up 0.6%. So yeah, there's differences, but that's going to be in terms of the, you know, the price of Bitcoin while we're doing this. So that's why the, the numbers were so much different over there on priced in Bitcoin 21. But I'm getting, I'm going to get, try to get used to using priced in Bitcoin, uh, because this is a, actually a really informative website and there is a shit ton of data on it. It's got like, it's got price, it's got Satoshis or it's got all these priced in Satoshis. Consumer goods, bond markets, retail, uh, hospitality and transportation, food and beverage, telecom, pharma. Uh, I'm just like going all the way through it. Gaming, vices. Holy shit, what's on vices? Uh... Philip Morris International is down 0.69% in terms of Satoshis, 178,657 Satoshis. And I mean, it's got like all kinds of shit on here, man. So again, that's uh, PricedInBitcoin21.com. That PricedInBitcoin21.com. So check it out. Real money, $50,380. That's 269,000 transactions being performed in the last 24 hours with 11 and, and that represents about 11,200 transactions on every uh, per hour 1 million BTC have changed hands in that period that's 43,600 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with the average transaction value 3.88 BTC and 0 0.1 sorry 0 0.015 BTC or 758 bucks is the median transaction value block times are horrendously fast. Seven minutes and 58 seconds. I ain't seen this shit for a while, y'all. 0.05 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 9.39 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 1.81% increase in hash rate, we are up to 187 exa hashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 17.9 United States pennies. We are looking at 6,325 transactions waiting on 38 blocks to clear. We have a $951 billion market cap, which is 8.14% of gold's entire market cap. And you can get 28.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,895,229 in circulation. 3,287 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $165.2 million, being run over 18,519 nodes, representing 81,532 payment channels that we can see. Holding 75%, the Tor Network now represents 2,465.7 of those BTCs, and, or sorry, BTC and is being run by 11,305 nodes that we can see, and that's going to do it for vitals.
Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Arnold Karimi starts us off with this one from Cointelegraph. Visa announces new crypto consulting service for merchants and banks. The payments giant Visa is launching new consulting and advisory services in a move to help its clients navigate the world of cryptocurrencies. The firm said on Wednesday that its crypto advisory practice housed within its consulting and analytics division will offer advice to financial institutions, retailers, and other firms on everything from rolling out crypto features and exploring non-fungible tokens to developing wallets for central bank digital currencies. According to Visa, part of banks' interest in cryptocurrencies is in remaining competitive. Citing a recent in-house study, Visa said that 40% of crypto owners surveyed reported that they would be likely or very likely to switch their primary bank to one that offers crypto-related products in the next 12 months. Let's pause. Remember what I was saying about talking to your uh, banker friend or your bank president friend that you play golf with? You need to tell them about this. You need to tell them about this because if these, the only way that these banks are going to be able to have a hope in hell of not being liquidated into the Federal Reserve is if they have their hooks firmly in the meat of Bitcoin and the, God forbid me saying it, the larger crypto thing. I am trying to be Bitcoin only, but it's very hard to do that right now simply because there's just, it's like 2017 all over again. And I've got, I've literally got an almost brand new Bitcoin related Twitter account with 15,000 followers asking the question, will Ethereum flip in Bitcoin? And I'm like, Jesus, it's like stepping into a time machine. We've already been through this shit. God, I don't, I don't understand it. But the, the point being, the only way that banks are going to remain competitive is if they dive in. They don't know what they're diving into, but they know they've got to dive in. Otherwise, they're going to get burned to death. But so help a brother out and tell them about Bitcoin and, and, and why it is that they need to stay away from most of the other crypto bullshit. Per Reuters, American financial services company UMB is a client of Visa's crypto advisory services. Quote, we came to Visa to learn more about crypto and stable coins and the use cases that are most relevant for our retail and commercial business lines, said Uma Wilson, executive vice president of UMB Bank. The move marks Visa's latest attempt to push deeper into the cryptocurrency industry, with the firm having filed for numerous blockchain-related patents in the past. Visa's research team is also working on a universal payment channel project, which is a blockchain interoperability hub connecting multiple blockchain networks and allowing digital assets to move from various protocols and wallets. Visa is one of the primary, or sorry, Visa is one of the many payment processors that has entered the cryptocurrency business in recent years. Its rival MasterCard recently rolled out crypto-linked payment cards throughout the Asia-Pacific region, while online payments giant PayPal launched a new consumer app for crypto savings and direct deposits earlier this year. So there you go. Visa firmly trying to figure out what the hell's going on so that it doesn't lose its lunch. And I haven't heard anything out of Western Union, have you? I mean, I literally, it's like, you would think that at this point in time that they would be scrambling to form some kind of business relationship with, with one of the idiots out there for like, you know, I don't, I guess I shouldn't pick on crack and Coinbase. I'm, I have never, I haven't heard a word of Western Union at least reaching out to Brian Armstrong. Not that that would be, you know, a good deal. I'm just saying that it's weird that they are strangely silent in the face of all this. And here we have PayPal, Visa, and MasterCard that are trying furiously how to figure out how to survive in this new environment. And so you, I guess you can kiss Western Union goodbye. Damn, well, that's a hell of a brand too, bro. Anyway, <clears throat> Let's see what's going on here. Oh, Bitcoin is approaching uh, hash rate all-time highs. Oh, hey, look, it's Marty Bent. Oh, hey, Bent. What's up, bro? Bitcoin Magazine, by the way. Uh, in If the recent trend in Bitcoin network hash rate growth continues to pace, we should see 
new all-time highs by the end of the year. This is an incredible development when you take the CCP's ban on all mining operations within China in May of this year. As the, or at the time of the ban, many, myself included, surmised that hash rate wouldn't fully recover until well into 2022. And I'm happy to report that it seems that many of us were wrong. The Bitcoin network has proven to be extremely robust and dynamic. Economic incentives are a hell of a drug. The pace at which the economic actors within the mining industry moved to unplug, pack, ship, and plug miners back in is impressive. Of course, the recovery was aided by new deliveries hitting the market as well, but the global coordination to find the ASICs that were forced to leave China new homes can't be overstated. A dominant, or sorry, rather, a dormant miner is a physical option of future block rewards that isn't being taken advantage of. Every block a miner misses is sats left on the table and extends the expected return of capital. With this in mind, operators work day and night to find electricity and rack space to get those options back up and producing. In the process, helping get network security back to a place where it is much harder to attack the network. As of right now, we are due for an upwards difficulty adjustment of 16, no, sorry, 6.2% in 693 blocks. <clears throat> if hash rate remains static between now and the next adjustment, uh, it won't, but please appease my thought experiment. Difficulty will hit 23, oh God, 23720 Holy shit, that's a lot of numbers, which would be 5.2% away from the difficulty all-time high set in last May. It wouldn't be surprising to see a new all-time high before the new year. This will be something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. Bitcoin is so damn beautiful. One of the most powerful despotic regimes in the world tried to deal a major blow to the network and it barely flinched. This is very, very, very bullish and it hasn't been appreciated by the market yet. I guess Marty's saying that it hasn't been priced in. Continuing with another one from Bitcoin Magazine and Namcios. <clears throat> Foundry launches US marketplace to match buyers and sellers of Bitcoin miners. Speaking of mining. Foundry Digital LLC has launched a marketplace to match interested buyers and sellers of Bitcoin mining machines, the company said in a statement sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Foundry X seeks to cut down wait times and bureaucracy for U.S.-based buyers looking to acquire new rigs, ensuring timely delivery of mining rigs compared to the lengthy process necessary to import them from Asia. Foundry's secondary market attempts to match the right buyers and sellers at competitive prices. Quote, Global semiconductor chip shortages and supply chain issues have made it difficult for North American mining businesses to procure machines from Asia on time, per the statement. There has also been a sudden influx of new resellers that require significant wire deposits to reserve machines, which has made the process even more challenging. Foundry said it works with major manufacturers and a network of resellers to acquire machines in big lots later making it available for resale in its marketplace. Quote, with the industry's leading clients and partners, from machine manufacturers to mining companies, we have the market knowledge and data to match the right buyers and sellers at the right price, Jeff Berkey, VP of Business Development at Foundry, said in a statement. Foundry X leverages Foundry's network of more than 200 buyers and sellers of Bitcoin mining equipment to reduce the time to buy and receive a Bitcoin miner in the United States. The Rochester, New York-based company said it had secured over 40,000 of the latest generation micro BT and Bitmain Bitcoin mining machines for immediate delivery through next year. The advisory company also provides clients with additional services on demand, including financing, shipping, logistics, and pooled mining. The firm's Bitcoin mining pool, Foundry USA Pool, is one of the largest mining pools in North America. Prominent participants include Hut 8, Hive, Green Ridge, CleanSpark, and BitFarm. So if you're in need, I guess, of Bitcoin mining rig, uh, I get in touch with Foundry Digital LLC because apparently they've got a whole bunch of miners that are ready for sell or sale. That's nice. But they probably won't be going to Iceland because Iceland cuts power to new Bitcoin miners. <laughs> 
Brian Neuer brings it uh, to us from Cointelegraph. Starting on Tuesday, no new requests for power from Bitcoin mining operations will be accepted from the country's utility, uh, energy utility service. National Iceland Electric, oh, sorry, National Iceland Electrical Company, Landvriskjön, has cut the amount of power it will provide for some industries, including aluminum smelters and Bitcoin miners. A representative from the island's power utility reported it had been forced to reduce energy allocations to southwestern Bitcoin miners in various industrial facilities due to a series of issues, including a problem at a power station, low hydro reservoir levels, and accessing energy from an external supplier. Mining operations have long been attracted to the country due to its abundance of geothermal energy, which is harvested to create cheap and plentiful supply of renewable energy. But from Tuesday, for an unknown period of time, any new requests for electricity from mining operations will be rejected, according to the company. Canada's Hive Blockchain Technologies, Genesis Mining, and Bitfury Holding are the three main Bitcoin mining companies that have opened facilities in Iceland. Uh, for nearly a decade, miners have tried to realize the promise of environmentally friendly Bitcoin mining in Iceland. In 2013, cloud hashing moved 100 miners to Iceland. In November 2017, Austrian company Hydrominer GmbH raised about $2.8 million in its initial coin offering to install mining rigs directly at Iceland, uh, Icelandic power plants. Less than 1% of the country's electricity is generated from non-renewable sources. The country's aluminum smelting industry has been hit hardest by the distribution failure. Aluminum prices rose 1.1% on Tuesday to reflect the bottleneck in supply created by a recent surge in demand and the present power supply crunch. Globally, green blockchain initiatives have come into vogue in 2021. COP26 conference thought leaders in Glasgow, Scotland addressed energy-intensive Bitcoin mining. The conference saw the launch of GLOCHA, United Citizens Organization for Action on Climate Empowerment. It will utilize blockchain technology to advance climate change objectives. So, so you're going to use the thing that you bitch about to solve the thing that you bitch about. Man, clown world just is relentless these days. All right. Now, an opinion piece by Daniel Kuhn out of Coindesk. Bitcoin's lost coins are worth the price. The New Yorker recently published a profile about early Bitcoin user James Howells, who mined about 7,500 BTC using his gaming computer back in 2009, only to discard the hard drive storing his private keys while cleaning his home office. That trove, worth today approximately $383 million, is likely sitting in a dump in Newport, Wales. Howells thinks he has a decent chance of recovering the hard drive. He's worked to raise $5 million, or actually $6.6 .6 million, to finance the excavation. That project would dig up and sort through 40,000 tons of household waste buried for nearly a decade. But the Newport government thinks it's too dangerous and isn't worth the cost. The story is familiar enough. There are plenty of tragic tales about people throwing out their old computers, forgetting passwords, or getting hacked. Sometimes people regret spending Bitcoin too soon. One South Carolina hypnotist even markets services around helping people recall forgotten private key pairs. <laughs> Sad though it may be for Hal's, this is simply how Bitcoin works. In creating a tamper-proof, append-only, distressed or sorry, distributed database, Bitcoin founder Satoshi Nakamoto also created a monetary system that would be very hard to hack, censor, or dismantle. Howells told The New Yorker if it were any other way, if he or anyone else were able to reverse the Bitcoin blockchain to recover lost coins, then so would nefarious actors like governments or corporations. Some Bitcoin boosters and critics alike say the network will never become widely adopted payment system without the ability to reverse transactions. Real life is messy. People make mistakes or change their mind. Having that fallback is good for business. The amount of capital in this industry obscures the relatively simple aims Nakamoto set out to accomplish. 
A healthier view might be that crypto, admittedly a difficult thing to wrap your head around, let alone use, is a better fit for a small subgroup of sophisticated users. That sounds elitist, but changing Bitcoin at its core isn't crypto. That's fintech. On the subject, Nakamoto wrote about irretrievable coins as a donation to everyone. The more coins that are permanently taken out of circulation, the more valuable the rest become. Data analytics firm Chainalysis estimates that about a fifth of all Bitcoins mined to date, uh, somewhere between 2.78 and 3.79 million, are lost. Blockchain uh, rollbacks have happened before and will likely happen again. The version of Ethereum we all know and love, and we don't love it, is the result of a reimbursement plan for victims of the DAO hack. The issuers of US dollar peg stablecoins Tether and USDC routinely freeze funds, but it will certainly almost never happen to Bitcoin, and that's its strength. There's a price tag often a painful one, attached to lost coins, but Bitcoin's core principles of censorship resistance and personal responsibility are invaluable. So there you go. And that's going to do it for the now afternoon roundup. All right, on this Wednesday hump day, I got a joke for you from Dad Says Jokes. What did Jay-Z call his wife before they got married? Fiance. If you want to help out and help me do what I do, uh, you can always give me a five-star review at Apple iTunes. That's always really valuable to me. Also, you can twit me, uh, tip me with Bitcoin through Twitter, or you can use Podcasting 2.0 to listen to this podcast and stream me Satoshis while you do so. Uh, All that helps, and hell, I've even got a Patreon, Bitcoin and a podcast on Patreon if you wanna help me out there with fiat. Otherwise, um, again, if you are listening to this and you know a banker, or you know somebody who is higher up in some kind of banking structure, if they don't know about the shit they just, we just, barely missed landing on the rocks with that Amarova chick. If they don't know why that is, is so potentially lethal to them moving forward, you got to be the one to tell them. You got to be the one to say, look, if she had gotten in and she had gotten her way, here's what would have happened to your bank. You would have gone through liquidation and that person would be horrend- you know, horrified and said, I think you're insane. What? But you know, exactly what, why would this happen? And then you've got to tell them that she wanted to kill retail banking. She wanted to kill commercial banking and move every citizen, business, retail, anything, anything even remotely resembling somebody or a group of individuals that collectively need a bank account were going to be moved to the Federal Reserve if she got her way. Even if she had gotten in as you know the comptroller of the currency, that's not a guarantee that that would have happened. But we're moving in this direction. This is not going to stop. The fact that Amarova is not has pulled her her nomination doesn't really mean anything to me. A lot of people are like, "Whoo, we missed that one." No, we did not miss that one. We didn't. This is a path that we are on. Our apathy throughout the decades has allowed this shit to occur. And now we are headlong going to crash into something that we don't want to crash into. And just because we avoided this one little stumbling block on the road does not mean that we're not going to fall off the cliff because that's where this road leads. If you have banking friends, if you have finance friends, make sure that you understand whether or not they understand what it was that Amarova represents and the fact that that is not going to end. If they just scoff at you and say it'll never happen and, and, and think you're just crazy, well, hell, at least you tried. But I have a sneaky suspicion that if I were to walk down the street to my local bank, which has, a, <clears throat> which has the president of the, of the local bank is actually here in, it, at, this particular, at this particular building, um, and they have, and they're all over the place up here in the panhandle. But if I were to walk down there and say, do you know who Amarova is? 
do you understand what she represents? He would probably say no. He probably does not know. I mean, I'm surprised that we even knew, honestly. And I think the only reason that Bitcoiners knew is because we're intensely interested in all of this. Whereas the legacy financial system, unless you're like Jay, you know, like Jamie Dimon or something like that, you don't know who the hell Almarova is. You didn't know that she had written a Marxist-based pe- paper. You didn't know that she won the Lenin Award after, you know, that she could go on scholarship to the fucking University of Moscow. You didn't, they don't, they don't know. They don't know that that person wanted to take all of their customers away from them and give them to the Federal Reserve. If they understood that, you would see a race into Bitcoin by these people faster than anything that would ever make your head swim. That's going to do it for today's show, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.